Please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28. Let the nations be glad. That implies that they're currently not. And we're longing for that. We're praying for that. That there's plenty of gladness in this world, but there is plenty of need for more gladness and glorying in the Lord. And that's what we're focusing on these two weeks, reaching the nations with the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Please look at Matthew chapter 28, what we call the Great Commission. This drives us here at Grace. This has driven Christians through the centuries since Jesus uttered these words as he was about to ascend to be at the right hand of the Father until he returns. And this is his last final charge to his apostles and to us. Matthew 28, 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This, the Great Commission, is our final charge Jesus gives us. It's not the only thing we think about as Christians. It's not the only thing we do as Christians, but it is the defining job description of the Christian mission to go in the authority of Jesus. That's a really important place to start. We don't go in our own authority, and that's a great misunderstanding, and that brings a lot of criticism on Christians who preach with boldness what we believe people need to believe to be saved, and it can sound very arrogant to this world, as if we're coming with just our opinion as a pervasive reality for everybody. But we don't go in our own authority. We're ambassadors of the King of Kings. We go called by him. I had a conversation with someone not long ago who talked about a, he, he said, I, you know, I've known this born-again Christian for years and I have so much respect for him. This guy's not a Christian I was talking to. He said, this guy's a born-again Christian and I've known him for years and I have so much respect for him because he's never tried to preach to me once. I, I didn't go there. You know, you got to try to figure out when to go places when. But, but I wanted to say, well, he's a really bad Christian then. Because Christians are called by Christ himself to go in his authority to represent him to the people in their lives into the uttermost parts of the earth. If we don't care about the nations, I don't think we love God very much. How can you love a God whose heart is for the nations and not have our hearts toward the nations? We have got to realize that we go in the authority of Jesus, not our own authority. All authority in heaven and earth. And then Jesus says, go therefore. In light of the fact that you go in my authority, go. 
Go and make disciples. That means make, bring about, instigate, lead the way into people coming into relationship with God through Christ and who are followers of Christ, saved by him and submitting to his authority every day of their lives. Make disciples of all nations. Don't just be satisfied with your immediate context. Have your eyes lifted to the nations. Care about the uttermost parts of the earth. Go to all the world and make disciples. And then baptizing them. Yes, this ritual, but this identification primarily with this Trinitarian God, this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Make sure they're totally identified with this God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then it's got this teaching element, teaching them. Get them catechized. Help them to understand what it means to be a disciple, to live as a follower of Jesus, to live as someone who's depending on Jesus according to the whole counsel of God's word, everything Jesus says, I've commanded you, which is all the scriptures. And then he promises that he'll be with us in this. Interesting, even as he's leaving, about to ascend, and they're clinging to him, and he says, no, don't cling to me, I need to go to the Father. As he's leaving, he says, I'll never leave you. And you want to say, well, Jesus, which is it? And it's both. He's leaving physically and will return physically and bodily, but he's with us always through the work of the Spirit who's mediating the presence of Christ. That's why Jesus says, don't even think of beginning to fulfill this great commission until the Holy Spirit comes in power. The Spirit is the person who is enabling us to fulfill this calling we have as Christians. So discipleship defines our lives. And what we seek to bring about in the lives of other people is discipleship, which is why we say we are disciple-making disciples. We cannot be just satisfied with our own growth, with our own discipleship. As I was preparing the sermon, I was so convicted of my own self-absorption. It is so easy to become focused on myself or if, if, if I take it to the next level, just my immediate context. But there's something so good and helpful and right about getting our eyes off of ourselves and as disciples of Jesus seeking to make disciples even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Discipleship defines our lives. It defines our calling as a church here at Grace as we seek to engage and evangelize and establish and equip ourselves and one another and others. Disciples are passionate then about discipleship, reaching the nations with the liberating gospel of Jesus Christ. And man, we live in a world of competing passions, don't we? The question we need to keep asking ourselves is, what are we really passionate about? If someone listened to you talk, if someone really paid attention to what you invest your life in, what would they say he is most passionate about? What would they say she is really devoted to? What would it be? What would it be? L listen to one missionary. 
He said, we live in a world of competing passions. If we do not die to self and fill our lives with the consuming passion of the worship of God in the nations, we will end up with other passions. It's possible to deceive ourselves into thinking we have biblical passions when in reality all we've done is to baptize the values of our culture and give them Christian names. We will have chosen apostolic passion, the, the, the passion Jesus is calling us to in this great commission command. We will have chosen apostolic passion only when our hearts are filled with God's desire for his son to be worshipped in the nations. These words by Floyd McClung are powerful and convicting to me. And I trust they may be to you as well. We need to have a driving, consuming passion to know Christ and to make him known. I am so grateful. I had very little discipleship in my life until my mid-twenties, and then God opened the floodgates of, of mentors and leaders and a church that helped me grow. And one of those mentors was a man named Robert Coleman. This is, this is Robert Coleman. Uh, he wrote a book called The Master Plan of Evangelism and The Master Plan of Discipleship. And Robert Coleman is one of the most godly men I've ever met in my life. I will frequently ask, I wonder what Coleman would think about this or say about this. Or, or I, I think about an example he gave. I got to travel with him quite a bit and, and be in studies with him. And it, he was just an amazing and still is an amazing influence in my life. And, and I love Robert Coleman. But listen to what Robert Coleman writes in one of his books. Jesus is looking for disciples filled with the Spirit of Christ burning with Calvary love, who set their course by the priorities of heaven. Set their course by the priorities of heaven. Setting our course by the priorities of heaven is radically different than setting our course by the priorities of this world only. And this, this priorities of heaven mentality doesn't detach us from this world. It doesn't disengage us from this world. It causes us to dive headlong into this world in ways we never would have otherwise seeking eternal impact. Don't you want your life to have an eternal impact, not just 72 years of impact and then that's it? And Coleman's influence on my life was huge and, and he lived this. He didn't care about the trivial things so many of us get consumed with. You know, I, I started in ministry during the height of the seeker-sensitive megachurch movement when it was all about being relevant. And all I was told is, man, you gotta have a lot of pop culture references and show clips of the Matrix and people will pay attention and all these things. Now the second movie's out, I can start showing clips of that one, I guess. But, but it, it was so consumer-oriented. Yes, I think it was well-intentioned very often, but it wasn't primarily about Holy Spirit-empowered, passion for Christ-driven, Desire to reach the nations. Most of these, you know, leading megachurches weren't sending missionaries anywhere. 
and we, we, we can have priorities that aren't driven by the priorities of heaven. And we all need to share this passion for Christ and seeing him known among the nations. And now the details of this can look very different. The details of how our passion is expressed can look very different according to the vocations God calls you to or the, the particularities of even your, your temperament or your personality or, or what God has you doing right now or what he gives you a burden for. It can look very different. Let me give an example. It's Robert Coleman's mother. Robert Coleman's mother wanted to be a missionary, deeply driven to be a missionary. And then she ended up marrying a farmer from Iowa. And she spent her entire life as a farmer's wife in Iowa, raising her two boys, Robert and Lyman. She never made it to the mission field. But she never stopped having a passion for Christ to be known among the nations. And her love for missions, her love for evangelism, her love for people who've never heard the name of Jesus had such a profound influence on her two boys that they have spent the rest of their lives reaching the nations. I got to teach pastors in Moscow with Robert Coleman how to do discipleship and evangelism. I mean, he's been all over the world. And his brother, Lyman, probably has had more influence in writing Sunday school curriculum than any single person that's spread all over the world. Do you know what Robert Coleman's mother's last words were when she was dying? The last words her boys ever heard her say were this. Boys, make sure my missionary pledges are paid up. You see, you can be a farmer's wife in Iowa and have a passion for Christ to be known among the nations. And then the influence of that spreads far beyond what you'll ever see in this world. I mean, Coleman's mother had no idea there'd be some guy standing in a pulpit in La Mirada who was profoundly influenced by her through her son. So much of my concern for missions comes from her. I've never met her. She died long before I ever met her son. But we can have an influence that has a ripple effect that goes right into eternity. You know, I bet, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I bet most of you, even members of Grace, have never read our missions commitment. It's right on our website. You can go read it. Well, I want to make sure we've all read it. Here it is. You ready? I guess we can leave Coleman there. That's kind of cool, actually. Um, there he is, looming behind our missions commitment. It's perfect. Thank you. That's good. Um, this is what it says. This is our missions commitment. We wrote this many years ago, like 20 years ago, we wrote this because we wanted missions to be a fundamental part of who we are. Our commitment, our greatest and ultimate goal in missions is the same as in everything we do. The glory of God, that the glory of God would be exalted and his name would be praised. 
we share God's desire to see Christ worshipped and honored and praised among the nations. We believe that the most loving thing we can do for others is to help them see that their primary reason for existence is to worship God. When people trust Jesus, God is glorified and they're saved. And God's intention for his creation is fulfilled. We also believe that God is most glorified and life is most meaningful, abundant and fulfilling when we are obeying God and reaching out to others and laying down our lives for them. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And this is our confidence. Our confidence in missions comes from God's promises that our missionary efforts are empowered and assured by his power, authority, presence, and sovereignty. People from every nation will one day bow the knee to Jesus. Therefore, our mission will be finished one day. Because of this, we believe that church planting among unreached people is the greatest need of missions. Frontier missions that reach people groups that do not yet have access to the gospel are our priority. We believe that the primary battle of missions is spiritual, and therefore prayer is the foundational discipline of our missionary efforts. Because our mission is a spiritual battle, our lifestyle should reflect a willingness to sacrifice and suffer for the cause of Christ. Christians must either be missionaries, senders of missionaries, or disobedient. Let us strive to obey. And then finally, our financial emphasis. We spend the money God entrusts to us at grace. How we spend the money God entrusts to us at grace will mean more than what we say. Our values are reflected in the way we spend our money at Grace, we've resolved that approximately 20% of our annual budget will be spent on missions. Our church must model self-sacrificial giving if we expect individuals in our flock to give in this way. I'll never forget when we did this. We, we um, were very far from 20% of our missions giving at Grace when we got here, and, and we decided we wanted to... to dramatically increase the percentage of missions giving of our overall budget. That means any time we add a dollar to the budget, 20 cents of that needs to start going to missions. And so, so it's a, it was a big commitment, a really big commitment. And we went before our flock, and I will never forget how overwhelmingly enthusiastic everyone was. Even people who tend to be bean counters and, and really want to make sure it's all going to work out, which is great. We need those folks. But everybody was like, yes, this is right. This is good. This is the heart of God. Just beautiful to see that happen. Um, could we get, you know, I don't want Robert Coleman lurking behind. Is there any way we could fix that? Here we go. Uh, beautiful. Good. I love that man. I will build my church, Jesus says, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Well, um, uh, right. How are we doing? Uh, I wanted to. There we go. 
Our, our mission's motive is grounded in two things, two commandments. And the first is this great commission that we started looking at. But I think it's really important to combine, as Adam Day wonderfully helped, his sermon was so helpful last week. But he talked about our love for people driving what we do. So the command to reach the nations Jesus gives here in the Great Commissions is huge. But, but I think it's important to combine that with the Great Commandment. These should never be considered independently of each other. The Great Commission to make disciples of all nations and the Great Commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and your neighbors yourself have to be woven together in our minds inextricably. We have to see love and proclamation and missions and evangelism as fundamentally together. And we tend not to do this these days. I pick it up all the time. If you pay attention to the way people talk, you will, you will hear them say cliches that sound true and have some truth in them, but lead us astray from combining the great commandment and the great commission. There's no, no separation. There's no conflict. There's no tension between the great commandment and the great commission. People say things like, you have to love people before you tell them the truth. People say things like, uh, people don't care what you believe until they believe you care. Those are interesting cliches, and there's some truth to them, but what I think they start to do is lead us to think that proclamation, preaching, telling people what we believe is somehow in intention with love rather than the fundamental way we love people by proclaiming Christ and pointing them to Jesus. Yes, we need to love people, but loving people will see preaching Christ and helping them to know Jesus as absolutely fundamental to love. If you're not preaching Christ to people, you're not loving them at all. We're not loving them well at all. He's the one we need. Yes, acts of kindness and compassion, seeking righteousness in our world are good and right things, but Christ alone will save people. And so we need to realize that the Great Commission and the Great Commandment go hand in hand. I, I, I just want to, you know, as I was preparing this, I, I started to prepare to preach an entire semester of a theology of missions. And so all I'm going to do right now is just, uh, just mention quickly about a third of the things I thought of I wanted to talk about this morning. I've got ten. You ready? Why do we do this? Why missions? Well, the great commandment and the great commission combined clearly. But what are other reasons? Well, people are perishing without Christ. Do you really believe that? That's the question. Do you believe that without Jesus, people are going to go to hell? Do you believe people will suffer for eternity under God's judgment and wrath if they don't find freedom from that judgment and wrath in Christ. People are perishing without Jesus. How can you say you love people if you aren't, aren't missions driven then? Those two have to go together. Second, the nations reached brings Jesus' return. We'll see that in a bit. We'll get back to that one. Three, diversity and unity of praise is more beautiful and more honoring to God. 
The more people, I mean, missions is driven, yes, by our love for people, but I would argue that even more it's driven by our desire for God to be glorified in an even more beautiful, more diverse, more unified way. The nations are reached and more languages are now praising him. More languages are now, uh, the Bible's in more languages now because of efforts of Bible translators. The worth and lordship of Jesus over all the earth is emphasized when we care about missions. And when missions is accomplished, Jesus' lordship and saving power is accomplished. The sovereignty of God in redeeming people is on display when missions is on the move. Six, the wisdom and power of God in the gospel is displayed. How about this one? Human ethnocentric pride is crushed as God brings worshipers from every kind of people. My, my little tribalistic instincts are destroyed when I lift my eyes and want to reach the nations and love and reach people dramatically different than I am. Eight, the saving lordship of Christ is exalted. Nine, sin, death, and the devil are defeated through missions. In other words, God's kingdom is ushered in. If you really care about justice, if you really care about seeing sin and evil vanquished in this world, there's nothing more important you can do than missions. Nothing. God is glorified, finally. That's what it's all about. And if that's not your driving passion in life, you won't be driven to missions. You, you won't be burdened by it. You won't have a passion for it. Habakkuk says there's coming a day when the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. It will be comprehensive. It will be pervasive. If you don't hear that and say, yes, I long for that day more than anything else, you're off course in what it means to be a disciple. If these things don't motivate you, quite frankly, I wonder if you're a Christian. And I'm not saying, as I said before, that we're, we're always on focus. We're always on point. We're always driven by heaven's priorities. It's a battle to stay that way. It certainly is for me. But, but these are the things that need to drive us. We can get so focused on our little puny lives and our little puny houses. And, and not that God doesn't want to work there. Not that he isn't intending to be glorified in the way we love in those places. But if that's all it is, if it's just us and taking our kids to soccer games, if it's just us and building up our 401ks, if it's just our little world making it as comfortable as we can, we're missing the whole point of being disciples of Jesus. It is so easy to domesticate and enculturate discipleship. So how do we foster a greater Great Commission culture at Grace and in our individual lives? Here, here are some practical things I think we can do. Number one is be devoted to grace, to your local church as a committed and active member. I think this is maybe the most important thing you can do. 
to be committed to your local church in a way where every time you just give $10 to the ministry here, you know some of that is going to missions. As I said, the details will look different. There are lots of things that even as one of the leaders here at Grace, I'm not very actively and directly involved with here at Grace. I simply, we can't, right? But when you're part of the ministry, the, the broader ministry, just the meaningful, prayerful, active, servant-hearted giving you do will be contributing to Great Commission missions and evangelism. It, it's just part of being part of the local church. I remember hearing, um, hearing somebody say not too long ago that, that being part of the local church gives my Christian life integrity it wouldn't have otherwise. See, being part of the local church means even if you have never shown up at food bank, you're part of that mercy ministry. If you're part of the prayerful, committed ministry of this church, you're part of missions because our church is part of missions, meaningfully committed to it. So to be a committed member of the local church that you're a part of, member, the membership commitment number six we, we agree to when we become members at Grace is this, that we will share our faith personally while supporting others who proclaim the gospel around the world. And by being part of a local church in a meaningful, committed way means you're part of missions if that church is missions motivated. Two, I encourage you to familiarize yourself and be committed to our missions philosophy and commitment we just read. To really internalize that, absorb that, make that part of your calling as well as the calling of the church you're a part of. Realize that those things said in that commitment are really biblical and true. Three, pray. Regularly pray for and even consider fasting for the lost and the unreached. Go to Partners in Prayer, which meets monthly on Wednesdays. Pray as a part of your life. Yes, it's easy in your prayer in the morning to be focused on what you have that day, but there can be something so helpful and healthy about lifting your eyes up and thinking about the nations in that time. Give, give financially. If you're giving to the general offering at Grace, a, a, a significant percentage of that is going to missions, but think of other ways you can give in addition to that to missions. Your heart is shaped when you give financially to something. Read our Grace Partners newsletter that Tim Stransky's always handing out and that are available on the table. Visit those tables when we're done and familiarize yourself with some of our partners. Read that newsletter and sign up for updates from our missionaries and respond to them as Adam encouraged us to last week. I encourage your grace group to adopt a partner and make that partner a, a missionary, a, an evangelist, a particular concern for you. Spend time with our partners who are regularly part of grace and when they come back, like the Overholts. Read missionary biographies. I highly encourage you to do that. Ones like Amy Carmichael's A Chance to Die or Adoniram Judson's uh, biography by Vance Christie, or Eric Little's biography called Pure Gold, or Henry Martin's biography called For the Love of India, or John and Betty Stam, also by Vance Christie, or Hudson Taylor's Gospel Pioneer to China. Great biographies, 
and get to know the people who have hearts for missions or spend time on the missions field, like, like the, the Floyds and the Dixes. I mean, we have, in Sunny Mass, and, and we have amazing people who get what we're talking about profoundly, get to know them, let them rub off on you in that way. A couple more things. I am so helped by the app called, that the Joshua Project has called Unreached of the Day. The Joshua Project's a really helpful resource. But this morning, the Unreached of the Day on the app is uh, the Sunda in Indonesia. 0.49% Christians. 0.49% Christians. They're unreached. And it gives you good descriptions of who they are, ministry obstacles, outreach ideas, a scripture focus, a prayer focus. It gives you a map. It, it gives you um, what resources they have and what they don't have. It is so good for my soul to, to think about people on the other side of the earth who need Jesus. It gets me out of my self-absorption. It gets me out of my sinful self-focus so well. And then I would encourage you to pray about and seriously consider going. One of the things I love about grace is we've been ascending church. I can say that. We've been able to send missionaries and send people into the evangelism fields. And, and it's, it's been a beautiful part of grace. People come here with a burden to go. And then we love to equip and enable people to go. But we want to keep that going. We want to keep that rolling in this way. Here's the last thing I want to say. And then we're done. Seek to live a holy life. Maybe this is the biggest thing. But what I want you to realize is that a holy life comes from a love for Christ. And a love for Christ leads to a longing for his return. And a longing for his return will lead us to a missions heart and mentality and lifestyle. So cultivate a love for Christ that leads to a longing for the return of Christ that leads to a growing holiness. Well, why am I saying this? Well, listen to what Matthew 24, 14 says. And the gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. In other words, then Jesus will come back. So there's this, this understanding that missions discipleship spreading around the world, the nations being reached, every tongue, tribe, and nation being reached with the gospel is what happens, and then Jesus comes back. And if you profoundly love Jesus, you long for his return, and so you'll be motivated to missions because you know that hastens the day of his return. And notice the connection between the return of Christ and holy living. Listen to Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself 
for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Do you see how the return of Christ is something that drives us to holy living and holy living prepares history for the return of Jesus? I really want you to see how pervasive this is in the Bible. Listen to 1 John. What kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure, Jesus is pure. Our seeking of holy living, of pure lives, starting with pure thoughts and daily behavior, holiness is something that love for Christ motivates and holiness is something that sets the stage for the return of Jesus. Look at 2 Peter. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, on Judgment Day, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for thee, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. I've been so overwhelmed in my, my appreciation as I prepared for this sermon in the connection between missions and our own holiness. We, we will be so disconnected from being great commissioned people if we live our lives in sin if we don't pursue lives of holiness, if we give in to the trivialities and the false promises of the idols of our day, how can we be great commissioned people? But our love for Christ will motivate a love for him. Listen to Revelation 19. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. See, the bride makes herself ready for the groom to return. Now we depend on God's sustaining and sanctifying grace to do this, but we apply ourselves to it. We make ourselves ready. We make ourselves pure by depending on God's amazing means of grace to do that. But we, we pursue holiness. I heard one preacher, Derek Prince, say, that the bride needs to prepare herself. He said, I've been all over the world and every wedding I've ever been to, it's obvious the bride has spent much time preparing herself. And, and in this image of the bride of Christ, there's this pure, lit, pure linen, this, this beautiful clothing she is getting dressed in, preparing for his return. And Derek Prince says, I think the contemporary church just has enough pure material for a bikini which is not what we need for a wedding. 
and we need to pursue holy. We need to see the connection. Maybe we don't have a fire for missions because we've got impure lives that we're living. But, but don't forget, this begins with love for Christ, dependence on Christ, realizing that he alone is holy righteous. He alone is holy pure, and we depend on him. So our love for Christ leads to a longing for Christ. And we recognize this is the case. I... I had a friend, Scott, and Scott's mother died when she was just in her early 50s suddenly. It was just terrible. And I remember calling Scott the day she died, and I said, Scott, is there anything we can do for you? And he's very theologically wired, and he said, yeah, just live holy lives. I was thinking like a meal. You know, I think that's a profound way to respond to death. You know, I just love that that we can look back on Dave Coons' life and Karen and and, and his family and the way he, he, he moved toward death. We're all moving toward death. And I do think it's profound, as Kenny mentioned, that Dave Coons died on the 66th anniversary of the five missionaries in Ecuador who were murdered 66 years ago yesterday. Um, these, these five men stabbed to death, didn't use their guns that they had with them and they could have because they wanted to preach the gospel. And as one of them said to his son when he asked, are you going to use guns if they attack you? He said, no, we can't because they're not ready for heaven yet. But we are. And, you know, these men are heroes, but the women, the children, the the, the families that were on the mission field, several of these women went to and lived with the murderers of their husbands and fathers. What makes you do that? It's heavenly passions. It's heavenly priorities. It's a desire to reach the nations because of everything we've been talking about this morning. The Lord is coming for his bride. I just just want you to hear this quote. By Jim Elliott. This is where it all starts. Not losing your first love. Loving Christ. Knowing Christ. Listen to Jim Elliott in his journal. This is the man who said he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. But look where it's all grounded. He said, I walked out in the hills just now. It's exalting, delicious to stand embraced by the shadows of a friendly tree with the wind tugging at your coattails and the heavens hailing at your heart, to gaze in glory and to give oneself again to God. What more could a man ask? Oh, the fullness, pleasure, sheer excitement of knowing God on earth. I care not if I never raise my voice again for him. If only I may love him, please him. Mayhap in mercy he shall give me a host of children that I may lead through the vast star fields to explore his delicacies whose fingers ends set them to burning. But if not, if only I may see him, smell his garments, and smile into my lover's eyes. Ah, then, not stars nor children shall matter. Only himself. Heavenly Father, help us to love Jesus with a passion and an affection and a devotion that has no rivalries in our hearts for him. 
Lord, please, would you instill in us a, a greater dependence on Jesus who gave his life for us, who died in our place, who lived in our place, who rose victoriously, who's conquered death and sin and has given us the central charge of bringing that message of the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. Lord, thank you for the amazing partners we have here at Grace that we get to serve with and alongside and partner with as they go into uh, baseball fields and mission fields of all kinds. Lord, please, would you help us to be people who love Jesus and long for his return and live lives of holiness and live as disciples who make disciples. And we pray this in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen.